You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Kev Kyatt here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for tuning in. We're here to help. You are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. Our job is to bring you practical, tactical expertise that you can use right now, or maybe in an hour. You're about to hear the recording of a live call with an expert panel, and you're more than welcome to join these live calls. Just zip on over to nonprofitproblemsolver.com to register. Episode 3 is a high-energy discussion about marketing and fundraising. We're asking where nonprofits should be in their fundraising efforts at this point in the year, taking COVID into account. And if you're behind, what can you do about it? And if making your canceled event virtual is part of the plan, we wonder out loud whether you should be holding it at all. We also tackle the challenge of storytelling on social media. All that over the next hour. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver 3. This one is really exciting. It's about marketing and fundraising which is uh, a big deal uh, just at the moment. Uh, We have a fantastic panel. I'm going to give them an opportunity to introduce themselves very briefly in just a moment. We will have uh, an opportunity for uh, you guys to ask questions at the end, but you can ask questions in the chat all the way along. You can participate in the conversation. Anything you'd like to interject, we will try and include as we go. Uh, and we will um, uh, entertain other questions in about 45 minutes or so. So everyone else is on uh, mute except for the panel, and I'm going to start by asking them to introduce themselves, and we'll jump right into our questions. So Tesha McCord-Po. Hello, everyone. My name is Tesha McCord-Po. I am the founder and CEO of Joy Raising. We are a non am consultancy that supports nonprofits uh, with not just fundraising, but also diversity work. I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Super thrilled to be here with all of you today. Thanks, Tesha. Tammy Charles. Hi, everyone. Um, Thank you so much, Kev, for this opportunity. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Tammy Charles. I am based out of Tampa, Florida. I'm the founder of a small boutique consulting firm called Inovo Strategic Consulting. And we also uh, help clients with social impact fundraising and just helping them utilize innovative tools to help them impact more lives um, by utilizing entrepreneurial um, concepts and systems. So very excited to be here and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Nathan Webster. Hello, everyone. Uh, again, Nathan Webster with NW and Associates. The NW is Nathan Webster, not the Northwest. Uh, we are in the Pacific Northwest in Vancouver, Washington, just north of Portland, Oregon. We are your passionate family first marketing agency experts at your service focus on consulting, marketing, and website. In other words, we are your marketing agency ready to serve you. Excellent. Sherry. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you are. Uh, My name is Sherry Quam Taylor, and I help leaders of nonprofits who are absolute experts at their mission and their programs and their work. I teach them how to pivot off of that spin cycle of of a heavy dependence of either small gifts or government funding or event revenue. And I teach them how to move into mid and major level gifts uh, from individuals. And so I, I run a 90 day program doing that, uh, all over the country. And I am talking to you from Chicago today. That's great. Okay. Julia Campbell. 
Hi, I'm talking to you from Boston where it's freezing cold and I wonder every day why I'm not quarantining in like West Palm Beach, Florida <laughs> with a pool. Um, but I'm Julia Campbell and my business is J Campbell Social Marketing and I help nonprofits try to understand and navigate the digital landscape and figure out which digital tools and platforms are best for them based on their audience and their mission. Excellent. Okay. Mary Hanley. Hi there. Um, I'm coming to you from Business Volunteers Unlimited. I'm director of events here at this nonprofit. BVU is designed to connect nonprofits and businesses in the Northeast Ohio community um, to <laughs> raise all votes. Uh, and thanks for having me, Kev. It's good to be here. Okay. And Marianne Dirsch just finally got out of the waiting room. <laughs> there she is. I'm Do you want to give us your wait. introduction, Marianne? Hi, it's great to be here with everyone. I am Mary Anders. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I own a company called Courageous Communication, and I help nonprofits connect with new donors and raise more money. Excellent. Okay, so let's launch into our uh, first question. Uh, it's obviously a very challenging time for uh, fundraisers at the moment. Tesha, I want to come to you first and ask, uh, now that we are towards the end of April, so we've, we're into Q2 of 2020, where should organizations be in their fundraising goals for the year? <laughs> where are they actually because of everything that's going on? And what should be their top priorities uh, over the coming 8 to 12 weeks? I would say um, look to your plan. And if you didn't have a plan, let's make a plan right away. Um, where did you think you were going to be? And what's and assess uh, what's the delta between where you thought you were going to be and where you are. And I really think looking to those people who um, can support you and figuring out how to get on track. So that might be your board or that might be um, your largest donors who can really be that bridge between where you thought you were going to be and where you were. Um, most of the organizations I work with work on a, a June, July 1, June 30 um, timetable. And so um, we were pretty fortunate to have most of the fundraising for this for a fiscal year um, done. But there were spring benefits that really um, were upended. And so what we're trying to do is figure out how long this gap is going to, you know, this slowdown is going to be. And can we have bridge funding or should we really reassess um, some of our um, targets for next year? So I think it, it, my answer is, where do you think you were going to be and how far off are you from that and how, how can you recover? Okay. Tammy, did you want to add to that? I totally agree. I think it's uh, understand like just like what Tasha said. I think it's understanding um, what were your goals and having a fundraising plan is, is extremely helpful. Um, one thing about a fundraising plan that's extremely helpful too is I think it's important to have a contingency plan. So one of the things that I work with my clients on, and I also teach management too. So we're actually talking about this right now is the importance of always having a backup plan. So I think this is a lesson for a lot of us who are in the social impact space that, you know, when you look at the macro environment, things can change in, in just a second. And um, I think this is really teaching us to be flexible, to be agile, um, to be creative, to be entrepreneurial, and really think about um, what are some of those contingency plans and also thinking about what are some creative ways to connect with donors. So to so like Tasha said, I think it's extremely important to meet with your board and begin thinking about what are some innovative ways and tools you can leverage to interact with donors and also capture new donors into your pool of prospects. Okay, thanks. Anyone want to jump in, Sherry? Yeah, I, I might just add one. I totally agree with Tasha and Tammy. I might just add one other perspective. Um, and because I had this happen to a client of mine that I worked with in the spring of 2019, they had their strongest year, you know, went into 2020 with the, the biggest cash balance and reserve they'd ever had, and in, which, which is fantastic, right? And in, in, I talked to her in early February. We do a, a coaching, um, ongoing coaching call together. And she said to me, hanging up that call, she said, this feels a little weird because I've never had this much money in the bank. Right. Like it was like, you know, and I, I you know, rarely hear nonprofits say that, but it was amazing how, um, you know, when I talked to her then, you know, mid-March, 
or she had reached out to me, it was amazing how it, the natural inclination was to move into panic mode, right? You know, the board members had said, hold on, should we be doing this? Hold on, like fear, 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 fear. And I said to her, hold on a second. When, when we hung up the phone in February, you told me you had so much money in the bank, right? So I said, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to come from a, you can, I want you to communicate. I don't want you to go invisible, but you get to communicate from a point of assurance. I, w- I want to share with you donors what your giving last year did and what it's doing right now and how it's helping us be strong through this. So I said, take advantage of that and stand strong on that. So I would just say to people, and I know, you know, it's very difficult right now for many nonprofits, but, but is the panic a, a maybe or is it, is it reality? Um, so I, I would just caution people to, to think, think from that angle as well. And Marianne, you um, focus on those sort of courageous conversations. What would be uh, your advice in, in, in that regard? Well, um, so if your board or your leadership was of, uh, feels like fundraising is a burden already, they're really going to feel like it is now. And so um, I feel like, feel like what's coming forward is that we have an assumption that fundraising um, is, a, is a burden and it's difficult and it's hard. And philanthropy is a gift. And, we, and when we're in a crisis, we disconnect with two things, which is our power and our purpose. And I just heard um, your testimony to that as far as your client said, wow, you know, I, I, wait, I just told you, you had, right. Didn't we just have this conversation? You have all that we have money. You're doing great. So we disconnect from our power and our purpose and philanthropy helps our donors connect to our power and our purpose. And I was literally just on a call before this where a board member described fundraising during this time as sleazy. And, um, and so that is unearthing for me. If you have a negative perception around fundraising, it's going to be hard. So you know, the plan and everything is, is, you know, we need the passion and the, and the practical. And so the planning and the contingency plans, and then also understanding our fundraising mindset and how it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy against us moving through this and really stepping up into leadership. And what I've been working on are like 90 day, like a now, a next, and a, and a, and, and then the next, next, right? So it's the now, and then the next, and then the next year, and then that would be in the next 90 days, and then the next, like the next six months, and then the next year to kind of help people digest through the year. But for me, it's that's what's really coming forward is um, the fundraising mindset. If it's not a good one, it's really showing itself right now. Right. Okay. Thank you for that, Molly. I'm going to come to you next, and then on to uh, Nate and and uh, Julia. Uh, Molly, at Business Volunteers Unlimited, uh, when you're looking. And in connecting with a wide range of organizations, what would you describe or how would you describe the state of fundraising uh, where we are now in April? I think we're in, in I'm going to say an unprecedented spot. Um, And I think communicating how nonprofits are still serving their clients in this new digital environment is going to impact how much funding is going to come to your organization. So just being in constant communication with our funders is a, is a big piece and seeing the nonprofits really communicate impact and how innovative program officers and people working on the front lines are being right now. It's a story in and of itself. And I think that sharing with the, with the funders and sharing with your donors and your volunteers, um, doing that will make sure that they're, they're following along and keeping them connected. Um, that's a value add for them, especially given the climate now. Well, you mentioned uh, storytelling, and uh, I always connect storytelling with Julia Campbell. Uh, so, Julia, tell us how um, executive directors should be engaging with their donors in terms of their current financial situation. How upfront should they be? Obviously, we, we had an example earlier from Sherry about someone being full of cash with that, but for a lot of nonprofits is exactly the opposite uh, right now. So how do you conduct that conversation? How do you weave that into your storytelling? Well, first of all, I, I absolutely love what Marianne said 
about how if you have been uncomfortable with fundraising up till now, it's not going to be an easy transition to all of a sudden become comfortable with it. So for me, I've always seen storytelling as a way to empower your donors to express their identity through their giving. So donors want that agency right now. A lot of people are struggling and that is 100% true. And I don't want to encourage people to do anything that they're uncomfortable with, but your donors, they want to be part of the narrative. They really do. And I know we've heard this a thousand times, but I'm just thinking from my perspective, I've had, I've seen how many um, appeals have come across my desk or just communications have come across my desk. And it's the ones that really tell the story of the organization and why I participate. I don't mean you have to tell a story like poor Timmy did X, Y, Z, and then everything was happy and here, give us some money. That's not what we mean by storytelling. It's a bigger narrative that you're creating and bringing people along the journey with you. So it could be a mission moment. It could just be a letter from the executive director's desk. I've seen a lot of executive directors go live on Facebook and just get really vulnerable and say, I'm at my house. I'm kind of at my wits end. We know you are too. We know you're overwhelmed. We know that you're struggling as well, but this is what we're seeing. And this is the reality that we're facing. And this is the story of like our employees and I just, I, I see the vulnerability, the authenticity really bubbling up to the surface and I'm encouraged and optimistic with the kind of stories that I'm seeing right now. But what I encourage organizations to do, you know, don't feel like you have to tell either the story of we're going to close our doors tomorrow if you don't give or the story of everything's going to be great if you do give. It's kind of that middle ground of this is the impact. No one has a crystal ball that can see the future. There is no guidebook for coronavirus. And we want you to be on this journey with us as we're telling the story of this organization and what it means to you and what it means to the community and the impact that we're having on society. So for me, I just think lead with compassion and have compassion for your donors, have compassion for your supporters and understand that we are not all in the same boat. We aren't. I mean, I am here healthy, employed. I've got my kids. I'm fine. That is a very different boat from a lot of other people. But explaining that we're not all in the same boat, you know, explaining like we serve these clients and this is what they're going through on a daily basis. Also understanding that you don't have to be a COVID-19 emergency relief you know, charity. You don't have to be on the front lines. You don't have to be a healthcare worker to have a mission that really resonates with me. So not writing the story for your donors, really letting them help you write the ending that they are seeking. So what, what, what I hear you saying is that is being realistic and authentic about exactly what's going on yes. uh, right now. Uh, uh, Nate, do you want to pick up on that? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, to keep it real, Everyone is in a state of I don't know right now to like keep it honest as you can. If there were liquidity issues before this, that's a real conversation that you need to have with your team. And it does need to get rolled downhill. Obviously, we're not the same. I mean, if you, with the SWAT, you have you have language for internal and then you have language for external. It's the same thing that nonprofits should be doing, uh, not just communicating it to your team to your donors, but the people that are your supporters and also the community that supports you and you're serving that may not know a lot about you, but this could be turn a negative into a positive, how they can, you can teach them a thing or two and why you're essential and valuable to your community that you serve. So I like that being differentiating the, the story and the messaging for different sorts of audiences. Uh, Marianne, did you want to uh, jump in there? Uh, I just got excited, but I can jump in. <laughs> One of the questions I wanted um, to, well, that I've been asking, and I think has been really powerful is why, and this goes to Julia's um, um, thing uh, about, you know, we're not on the front lines, right? So I'm in St. Louis and we have Forest Park and it's this beautiful gem. And, um, and you know, the development person said, who cares about the tulips right now? And I was like, who doesn't care about the tulips? I, you know, and 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 everything that matters to us becomes more important. And, and the question I ask is, why is what you do right now more important than ever? 
And that's what we can ask ourselves. That's what the, you know, all of us here, these experts with our companies, we can ask that question. Our, our organizations can ask that question. I use this and I tell people use this with your board members and your donors. What, and then, cause what Julie said, they're writing their own ending. So why is what you do right now? Why is what we do right now more important than ever? And I can tell you that everything everyone does right now is more important than ever, but it just feels like, and I think we're afraid to make it that way because we're afraid of um, the comparative suffering. Like we can't do well, or we can't tell a good story because there are people in the world who are suffering. And, and, and so that comparative suffering, and if we can release that and just say people need to know good things are happening, they need to know our organizations are, are, um, are either pivoting or coping or adapting, they need to know we're strong, but why is what you do right now more important than ever? And that I think is the key for me to grounding us in like the, the purpose, right? Our passion and our purpose and that when you do that, then all of a sudden we're looking at it from not a reactive space, but a proactive space. And how can we contribute? And how can we use our power and our purpose? And like, I love what Julie said, like, let people write their own ending. And if I ask that question to anybody, that then allows them to write their own ending to that story. Got it. Um, Molly, I wanted to come back to something you said about uh, program officers being a bit creative and uh, just picking up on this idea of connecting with uh, donors and other uh, of our champions who want to be involved. What about giving things other than money? Can you talk a little bit about how we can connect with people in, in non-financial resources and that sort of giving? Yeah. So there's, there has been a huge decrease in volunteers um, since COVID-19 started. Um, we've definitely seen that here in Northeast Ohio. Um, but there are still things that people can do. Um, board leadership is a big piece of that too. Um, joining a board, helping lead an organization through this time. Another thing that we've seen an uptake in is our pro bono assistance. So nonprofits are coming to us um, needing scenario planning, needing um, to kind of think about how their HR is working right now. And, and we're able to fill that need through the corporate sector. Um, and through individuals who have a little bit extra time, um, given not having a commute uh, there, and they want to give back. So there are a lot of ways that individuals are able to give back right now, um, not just treasure, but, but their time and their talents um, as they're at home. Okay, excellent. Uh, the next question I've got in terms of creativity is around shifting from the live in-person events that are part and parcel of our particularly spring calendar for a lot of nonprofits and uh, some of the best ideas that you've heard of those going online. Now, I know um, when I come to you, Sherry, you're also going to say that there's, you shouldn't apologize for not actually having an event. Um, but uh, before we get to that, uh, does uh, Tessa, Tessa, do you think you can share some good examples of uh, organizations having events shifting to uh, remote and online? Yeah, I work with a lot of schools, uh, private schools, and so the spring auction is a big fundraiser, but also a community builder. And so we saw a number of them have to, at the last minute, um, change their plans. And so um, I also work with a, with a school that does a breakfast and we decided to cancel it. So there was a debate over, do you just cancel or do you postpone? And in California, we were early to shut down. Um, and so we were making those choices. But what we got to the core of is why do we gather? Well, one of the reasons is to raise the money. The other is to have community. And so um, last night I participated in an online um, state of the school uh, fundraiser. We had about 300 people. It's a small school, so that was a huge turnout for us. And what we did was really focus on the why of why we, why we would have been together. We had Barbara Boxer, at, who was scheduled to be our speaker. So we had a short taped message from her to try to give a flavor of what was going to happen. We also had a challenge grant and then a surprise challenge grant um, from two donors. So if we raise $100,000 in the next 
48 hours, that will be matched dollar for dollar. So it really came together and we asked to the point of having board involvement, we asked our board chair and vice chair to be a part of the program so that um, the people in the community could see that the, the board was being vigilant about and, and mindful about what was going on and we had a few videos. So it came together organically, we really rooted it in the spirit of who we are. We, we saw other examples um, and we learned from those, but we really tried to focus on who we are, what our mission is, and so that it felt authentic to our audience. Um, and we're hoping that it'll help us get to the goal anyway. I've been telling organizations, don't ask for money that you don't need, which seems obvious. It seems like we always need the money that we're asking for. But what I'm asking people to do is reflect on really their their why so you know to the point of what's going to happen if this money isn't raised uh what was the point of it anyway don't just ask for it because they gave it before or because you you were successful before we've been on a long run of year after year of success as as um fundraisers because of a strong economy and so we're going to hear a lot more no's than we ever did before um, but we should be inspired by the mission and the reason why we're doing it in the first place. And I think that can still come through, um, even with a virtual event. Right. So, so proof that it can work and can work really, really well and really effectively. I know this is a particular issue in pivoting from either uh, a live event or to, to no event or some form of remote version of it. Uh, any of the folks listening who've got specific questions they want to push to the panel uh, on how you're handling it in your situation, feel free to add those to the chat. I'm going to go now to Tammy and ask her uh, what sort of examples she's seeing down in Tampa uh, with regard to moving online or remote. You know, what's, what's interesting is I have, I've seen a lot of cancellations like when I am on Facebook, I, I see a, I, there was a couple of events that I, I'm used to either attending or supporting um, that are being canceled. So I, I, I really love Tasha's idea and I, I definitely would like to connect on just how can I support my clients if they have events that they're postponing or want to pivot because it's something I haven't honestly seen. Um, at least in my community. I probably haven't been paying attention. But one of the, the pieces of advice that I have been giving to my clients, and I love the the points made earlier, I think it's by Julia and, and, and Marianne and, and Molly around storytelling. Um, one thing that I've been telling my clients is that now is such a good time to just continue to tell the story of your organization. But, you know, one process that I I kind of share with my clients is a process called the moves management process. I don't know if I'm sure everyone probably has heard a variation of it, right? You prospect, you qualify, then you cultivate and, and then you, you solicit and go to a stewardship. And one thing that I've been kind of like telling my, my clients is how can you continue to cultivate um, your relationships? How can you continue um, just like you were all mentioning earlier, what are some ways can you let your donors know that they are still a part of the story of your organization, that they're still the heroes of the story of your organization? Like, I think this is such a good time to steward a lot, catch up on relationships that maybe have been on a back burner. Um, that's something that I've been really telling my clients. Like, if, there, if you don't have a fundraising plan, if there's anything that you can do right now, um, think about people that you've been wanting to connect with and maybe have a quick zoom call with them or send them a note. This is something I've been doing even with my network, just trying to send text messages and emails and setting up zoom coffees, but there are ways to just be agile. So if you, if you have a virtual event and you, you, you cancel it or postpone it, but you're like, but what are some ways can I still engage with my donors? Think of just continuing that cultivation process and in building those relationships. So that's something that I've been really, um, I've been focused on and then also helping my clients do as well. That's great. I, and I know that um, that would resonate with Sherry, who I'm going to come to in a moment. But I'm just going to ask Julia, who I know has been on the webinar circuit these last couple of uh, weeks doing lots of uh, hastily <laughs> arranged uh, virtual uh, events instead of uh, jumping on planes. Can If you got good examples, Julia, of things that you've heard about, uh, not necessarily in Boston, but anywhere about about uh, successful online and remote events. Yeah, I mean, I I think the important factor in transitioning an event virtual is figuring out, does it really have to be virtual? Like, could you do 
something else. So this is a question that I get all the time is, oh, we, we're having our spring gala on May 15th. Do, you know, how can we have a gala online? And I say, well, it's challenging. Um, and do you really need to have the gala? So we have to work from, like Tesha said, what are the goals? What are our revenue goals? And, you know, how can we kind of work backwards? And what assets do we already have in place? I actually have a whole entire Google Drive of examples that I'm happy to put in the chat. It's a shared Google Drive. And um, I've just been That'd compiling. Be fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I've been, I just, because I get that question all the time and it's emails and social media posts and um, virtual events, but I've been seeing everything from like virtual spirit weeks. Um, I saw a school that I work with, the Oak Meadow School, they did a virtual spirit week and then they had a suggested donation of $5, like if you participate in the spirit week and it would go to the, you know, the PTO and I've seen walk in place, you know, virtual like walks and runs and people just, you know, coordinating their Fitbit or their Apple watch and with like creating a team and doing competitions of walks and runs the way they would have normally done in person. I've just seen some pretty incredible resourcefulness. One that I saw that actually Claire Axelrad of the clarification blog showcase was the Golden Gate School. And they had their biggest fundraiser of the year on, um, I think it was like March 15th when basically all the, you know, S hit the fan, right? So <laughs> they had to pivot literally in 24 hours. And what they did, they did a 20, they did a five hour disco party on YouTube live with people calling in from all different places. It was like an old school telethon and they had auctions and they pulled that together on YouTube live and they raised their goal amount. Um, and they were collecting donations afterwards and they just created a great community around it. So that was an event that they were prepared and willing and able to do. But if you don't have that, and if you, if you feel like you're having a gala and it's just not the time for galas, then it might be time to rethink the entire event and think about what you already have in place or how you can pull together some maybe virtual fundraising capabilities. So it's definitely a case-by-case -case basis, but I'm happy to share that in the chat. I'll do that right now. And, and if you guide. have someone who can uh, imitate Jerry Lewis, you can do the the uh, Yeah, and I, here I am right? going, talking, like you said, on planes all over the place about the future of fundraising, saying the telethons are dead. They're not, right. apparently. They're right. coming back. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks for that. Now, I've, I've teed you up, Sherry, because I, I know... Um, You've probably got examples, but uh, which you're by all means will, uh, able to share. Uh, but you also um, don't shy away from the fact that there's there's a good reason to just not have an event. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Sure, sure. And, and don't get me wrong. I love a good event. Um, when I beat up on events a little bit, it's typically when... Um, maybe an organization starts a big event too early and it's really seen as like the savior of their funding model and, and the organization becomes too dependent on that. And so I love events when they're, you know, cultivating donors and, and obviously we want money to be raised at them. I love events when they're a step, you know, in the development plan, but not being held up as the end all be all. And so I think organizations that, you know, so I have a lot of people come to me and say, well, we bring in a million dollars and, and half of it or you know, more than that comes in at our one event. And so I'll always say to them, and it was a hypothetical question until about 45 days ago, I'll always say, if that event goes away, would those donors still give to you, right? And I get a lot of, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure about that, right? So, right. so I, I'm just always um, kind of coming from the angle of, I want to have donors who are giving to us, giving, giving their best gift to you and are giving that gift every year, event or not, right? And so that's really what, where I'm coming from, um, you know, that, that probably makes me seem like I don't like events. I just want them to be rooted in the right place. And so, um, you know, events are, we have them for many different reasons. I'll give you kind of an interesting uh, concept. I just talked to a client about last week where he was saying, you know, kind of the bummer of his golf outing being being canceled and he's a new ED. He said, this was kind of the opportunity where I, I finally got my board members to, 
that they're all, you know, bringing foursomes and they're bringing three people. And it was, it was when I was going to be introduced to these people. And it was that first touch point. Uh, and now it's canceled. So I don't know when I'm going to get to meet these people. I said, well, why don't we just keep the tea time? Like, why don't we, if, if we had, I don't know how many foursomes they had, 30 foursomes. I said, if you could keep 10 of those tea times and ask that board member or that stakeholder in your organization to hop on Zoom, meaning a Zoom call, you know, to hop mm -hmm. on Zoom and just take 20 minutes and, you know, share about the organization. Maybe a student that was being supported is on the call. And it's just that, it's just a feel good. It's just a, um, a connection moment, you know? So I, so I think we have to think creative and, um, you know, don't, don't go invisible during this time and, and really just, um, that was really the point of this golf outing was to introduce new mid and major level gift um, donors to the event. And that can still happen. But the fundamental question I think you're, you're driving at is uh, whether events themselves are a value for money investment for the organization. Is that really the best way to cultivate your donors and cultivate your champions? Uh, Marin shaking her head vigorously. And there's been some commentary in the chat about just considering the full cost of staff time, uh, coordination time, uh, and so on, just to get something off the ground. Uh, and it's obviously true that there's always a risk of, of actually losing money. On, the, on that notion of value for money, um, I want to pivot slightly to uh, social media and other forms of channels of communications that we have. We have lots of options uh, and, and limited resources to uh, take up those options. So Nathan, I'd like you to uh, walk us through the way we need to think about in particularly the current chaos, but it's true generally anyway, isn't it, that we have to be selective about which channels we use to get our message to different people. You mentioned earlier about distinguishing between an internal audience and an external audience. And so maybe we're, we're talking about segmenting still further that external audience. Uh, I'll shut up and let you take over. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think this is a great time for you to focus on your marketing campaign. I know we have fundraising campaigns, but they should also be concurrent, running in parallel with each other. You know, like as you run, uh, it should be a marketing campaign. Now, I know not all nonprofits have a marketing campaign. So if you don't have one, just moonwalk back to your marketing strategy. If you don't have a strategy, uh, this is where your vision and mission is really important for your language to do the storytelling to accomplish those goals in these difficult times. People connect to stories. Uh, as we all know, facts tell, but stories sell. And just because the 5013 status is a tax exempt does not mean that we don't need profits to run these organizations. So when it comes to the different I think ESPN is a great organization that when you look at branding, the E stands for entertainment and then it's sports. You know, we also want to be entertained during this time. So when it comes to the marketing channels, there's a lot of opportunities for you that may feel like, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to focus on Facebook. Double down on Facebook then. Don't go start a YouTube channel if, if, if you don't have enough content. Don't create something new, or if something's dormant, don't expect a lot of a return on that just yet, because a lot of people are looking for ways to engage in. And right now, people are loving TikTok, because it is inter it's great entertainment value. But this is where, when it comes to going about doing what you're supposed to be doing, when it comes to the channels, uh, it's a great time to, at the end of the day, start analyzing that data, data, D-A-T-A. -A. Get that data. You want the channel or the channels that provide the best engagement. If those that engage are the ones that are going to help spread the word, like don't overcomplicate simple. If you're, again, if you're going to start something new or dormant, uh, be patient. It takes time. Uh, and it takes a lot of effort. Don't get frustrated with it, um, but find the right channel that works best for you. But you got to use the data to support, you know, because we have what we want, but what's reality? So mesh the two together. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go over to you now, Julia. I know this is your, mm -hmm. your bailiwick. <laughs> yep. Um, well, I mean, social media engagement right now, I think that you... 
I just would echo really what Nathan said. You have to double down on what's been working and where your community is. So the method that I always follow, and I actually just talked to a group of college kids this morning about social media engagement. It's, it has not changed. The, the method that I follow has not changed since 2010. It's the post method. It's from this amazing book called Groundswell and it's people, objectives, strategies, and tools. So tools are always last. You always focus on people. Who are your people? Who is your audience? What do they care about? What motivates them? What drives them? How are they trying to create a meaningful life? How are you adding value to their life? And then objective, what is your end game here? What is your purpose? What is the point of all of this? What are you hoping to achieve? What does success look like? And S would be strategies. So is it going to be, you know, we want to create a lot of engagement or is it we want to drive people to our website? Is it we want to raise a lot of money? Maybe we want to change hearts and minds around an issue. And then tools are always last. So the platform to me, even though I write a lot about social media and I love social media and I can give you 10 tips to use the Facebook donate button, you know, but I, to me, the story that you're telling and the content and the way that you are connecting with your audience really means so much more than the tool that you use. Cause the tools are going to change. Tools are going to come and go tools, pull the rug out from us every chance they get. I mean, we, we know that and that's, you know, just to go off on a slight tangent with the Facebook donate button and the Facebook charitable giving tools, the gigantic question that I get is why would we use it if it doesn't give us the donor data? Right. And what I always say is the tool wasn't designed for you. Right. It's not your tool. It's Facebook. The tool is not designed right. for nonprofits. The tool right. is designed for people to raise money. And I might not want my friends and family getting spammed by a bunch of nonprofits that I support. So we always have to think about the tool as a in our tool belt. We can't rely. It's just like Sherry said, you can't rely on the event to be a silver bullet or to be something that's going to solve all your problems. You have to think through the purpose and who is it for and what are you trying to accomplish? Um, so that, I mean, I, I would really just echo, you know, Nathan on that point too. Okay. It's interesting. Last week when we were talking about programs and services with the panel, one of the recommendations that came up was uh, it was a great opportunity to collaborate with partners because there's some overlap with mission and with story. And there may be an opportunity if people actually do have a bit more flexibility in their calendars to look at creating some shared content to presenting things to their their joint audience. Uh, Molly, I wanted to ask you if you're seeing anything like that uh, happen in uh, the organizations you've been working with. Yeah, we're, we're hearing kind of um, from boards, a lot of board uh, leadership, you know, about strategic partnerships um, for programming and just to kind of look how uh, we can align missions. Um, there's been a, a ton of talk like that. So, you know, as nonprofits really do their scenario planning and, and looking at what is the most important mission delivery going on right now. And how can we align with other organizations delivering that as well? Um, we did a survey and it said that 76% of our organizations in Northeast Ohio were saying that, that the organization will not look the same next year. Uh, and I think, that's, I think that's true of many. So those strategic partnerships are where you're really going to be thinking about it now while you're not, you know, you're still an attractive partner. Um, I really urge nonprofits to be thinking about it right now rather than in three months from now. And, and Tesha, do you have examples uh, from the West Coast of where this is going on, this collaboration and the storytelling and the reaching out to audiences? Yeah, I have one uh, that comes to mind. It's an organization um, that I just joined the board of called Eat Real. And um, the goal of the organization is to get more real food, wholesome food to kids. And so they, um, their claim is that our biggest um, fast food organization in the country are our, our public schools. And so they do a lot of work to um, work with um, food providers and schools to coordinate that. And so what they did was step into what they saw was a gap between um, 
the schools being able to offer food to kids and um, providers in this moment where schools are now shut down and to be able to facilitate based on their relationships with the food providers, uh, like grocers and, and um, uh, farmers and such, to coordinate with the schools. And so they stepped into this, this gap and they also use social media. So they started something called um, Rainbow Taco Tuesdays. So the kids are doing rainbows in their um, windows. Um, and so <laughs> they reached out to um, celebrity chefs to do Instagram posts last Tuesday of themselves making all kinds of, of tacos. And then they invited other people to do the same, um, you know, pe normal people like me doing that and uploading what we had, but to raise awareness about what they were doing um, to help, but also um, about their organization in general. And their reach was over 2 million people because the chefs wow. uploaded their videos and there was no ask. There was People had the opportunity to give, but the real, point of it was awareness. And so they were able to show what they're doing in this moment to support um, real critical needs right now, which wasn't at the core of where, where they were originally, you know, two months ago, but right. consistent. And so they were able to leverage their relationships to really um, shine in this moment. Yeah, that's great. Marianne, do you have um, uh, examples? Or are you seeing your clients uh, sort of toy around with this tension of their storytelling, but also looking forward, as Molly suggested, to uh, a very different look and feel to their organization next year, possibly with some, some partnership and how that affects the story they're trying to tell and the channels they're using to tell that story? I definitely feel like the biggest, the biggest thing right now is, and like as Julia said, it's about the people. Um, and also, because we're on Zoom right now all the time, I think people are getting a lot more comfortable with themselves on camera and getting a lot more comfortable with the video medium. And I, my clients are um, playing a lot more in that. And so I don't want to go to the tools all you know quickly, but also ex exploration of being helpful at this time. So um, um, a mental health organization that I work with, and they're know making videos on um, how to create good mental balance and create uh, mental health and mental wellness during this time they would have never done before and one of my main clients is the foster adaptive care coalition and they are um, they have completely changed how they do their work and they've been telling a fabulous story around how how they're doing their work um, and in a way that shows that everyone is contributing yet they're not in a panic or a crisis. And I think there's a balance there. Like we've all pivoted from, and every every staff person is now taking calls and, and, and we've all pivoted and also we're doing okay. And so I think that's a balance and that they have a strategic partnership with an organization they launched, which is going, which is a national advocacy organization. And, and that, just is, that just launched a couple months ago and it, it's a it's a advocacy organization around policy and replication of programs in the foster care system, and so by they're they're stepping up into sort of a national stage and using that strategic partnership to do that. So I feel like it's been great to watch people really stretch in this time because in crisis there's opportunity and nonprofits are typically risk averse, you know. And and now it's like well, let's just go for it. Let's let's try it because. You know, it's, this is a, like um, Nathan said, there's no rule book for this. So like, let's just see what we can do and, and, and see what happens. And um, I just got off the call with this uh, psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic Institute in Chicago that's putting together a course for corporations when people come back to work. Because I think that's gonna be a big thing. I think there's a lot of people who are really happy at home and don't wanna come back. <laughs> and a lot of people who can't wait to come back. And when we come back, what's that gonna feel like? And how and, and helping people um, um, and creating partnerships with corporations to help them navigate when people go back into the office every day. So, so that is- So are you mentioning the, uh, the, the new normal, the sort of, sort of post lockdown? And uh, I think one thing we can anticipate, uh, even as uh, marketing, fundraising, development, institutional advancement folks are working in hyper mode at the moment to try and uh, manage the chaos, is that we can anticipate some 
consolidation in the sector. We've already mentioned partnerships and, and shifting stories. So the elephant in the room has always been, uh, how are we going to give nonprofits the sustainable funding they need to be operationally, organizationally whole uh, and, and move beyond this seemingly ever-constant tension between programmatic funding and what, what some dismissively call overheads, <laughs> but what, what, what we actually need to, to, to run our businesses. Uh, Sherry, do you want to weigh in on that? I know it's a particularly important point for you. If there's one thing COVID-19 can do for us, it would be to remove that word overhead from our vocabularies. That's what I'm hoping. Um, if you if you follow me on LinkedIn, this is I'm a little I'm on a bit of a soapbox right now over this. Um, and, and really here's why, and it's tied to what you just said, Kev. Your organization is not going to grow if you are not investing in program, in admin and ops, and fundraising. All three. And there's going to be years when your admin and fundraising percentages are feeling a little high to you and the board's a little nervous because guess what? You're investing in the future of your organization to grow. And so when I think of, you know, as I'm watching, you know, the different levels of panic and, and people's responses, what I'm looking at is um, what was their funding model when we got into this, right? And which mm-hmm. ones are sustainable? And so, of course, I always want, you know, your top 30 donors really yielding between 50 and 75% of your revenue. And the challenge is, is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of founders have started nonprofits and they're absolute experts at their mission. It's really the, the, the best part of my job of learning um, from the experts that are running nonprofits. But they, not, they haven't necessarily ever needed to know how to raise large gifts or how would I sit down in front of somebody and ask them for money? And so organizations tend to plateau and, you know, really spend all of their time and energy and budget on, on a lot of small gifts, which I'm all about, like, don't hear me say any of that's bad, but it has to be balanced with a model that's also bringing in a wide breadth of gifts and, and large gifts. And also from, from a, a breadth of segments as well. And I, and I specifically work with with uh, individual donors. And so um, before I loved all the advice of, hey, if if you have some downtime, go back to the plan. I loved all that advice. I'd also add to that, where are you putting your compass? What does that model look like that we need to to drive drive toward, right? And and I would also add to this overhead conversation, um, put a reserve in your budget, plan for a cash balance, um, I'm having people on my LinkedIn page say, yeah, it seems like 12 months would be what would just be the norm after we come out of this. I'm like, unbelievable, right? You have to have reserve in the bank to be able to take growth opportunities when they come your way, to be able to, you know, be a little less risky during times of crisis. And so, um, yeah, I, I, um, I'm really like on fire about this. Um, just, just really hoping that we can move past some of these misconceptions in the industry um, that really have kept nonprofits from growing. Uh, and they deserve better. They deserve better. Uh, Nathan, I want you to pick up on that. Um, I know you, uh, you like Tammy, uh, teach management um, and uh, have some interest in, in, in social enterprise and some, some, some uh, income generating programs uh what's your take on this so uh man i already somewhat did a podcast on this um i said why college is filling america and i actually had a couple of folks call me and talk about like oh my gosh let's let's talk about it i said don't wait i got more coming i got more coming uh but when it comes to when we talk about overhead it's that dirty nasty word uh and i you know i'm sure especially like molly she has to deal with that when it comes to volunteering I'm just gonna say uh, to make it really short because I I gotta stick to my nose. If not, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go off. Uh, so when it comes to like like just reinventing this, redoing it, uh, one we have to reinvent it for ourselves in this post COVID nineteen era because we got to make giving online and participating, no matter online or if in person, we got to make it fun and sexy. Yes, I said the the sexy word. At the end of the day. My, like, for example, my dad, he hates technology. 
but he'll use it if he needs to. He will. Tr- he, if he can't do it himself, he will use his wife, younger wife. And, uh, if she can't do it, then guess what? Hey, bring the kids over here. I need you to show me how to do it. If it's important, if the value is there, they will find a way to do it. So that's why we got to make sure we go back to, are we doing the right things by putting it in front of them to say, it's worth their time. Don't miss out on this. Not don't say don't miss out on this, but show the value that they don't want to miss out on it. Excellent. Okay, Tammy, your turn. <laughs> I have been dying. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I know, my <laughs> heart is bursting out of my chest and I know we are out of time, but there's two tools that I want to share after um, I recently went through a program at Wharton and it's a center for social, social impact strategy. Mm-hmm. And there was this, it's called an aspirations cascade and it was written and I can never remember the author's name, but they, we use this book for our social entrepreneurial class. Cause I see, we'll look it up and share it. Yeah, I'll share. It. And I teach social entrepreneurship at UT. And basically according to this aspirations cascade, the nonprofit model should be last resort. A nonprofit should actually work up this aspiration cascade to be a revenue generating model. And if you look at the X and Y axis, as money grows, impact grows. Mm -hmm. And what I love about, I think one of the things, and I love what Marion said in the chat pod, like we have to redefine the way we do our work. For us to approach our work, oh, we're a nonprofit organization. Oh, we need money. We need to really redefine how we see ourselves. We talk a lot about storytelling. One of the things I've been working on personally on myself is what are the stories am I telling myself? And the other thing too is like, what are the stories are we telling about our organizations to ourselves that we need to change and address? Um, even to the point, and I know I'm kind of bouncing around here because I love the conversation about strategic partnerships. One of the things we really need to think about as social impact leaders is how do we open up our breadth of um, impact? So how do we not just collaborate with other organizations, but cross-sector collaboration? I think one of the things that's coming up a lot that I see is there's a lot of like systemic issues that are arising within our country and people want a solution. People want to find hope and people want to see what are some long-term innovative solutions can we apply to some of these huge systemic issues within our country and it's not a one sector solution it's a cross-sector solution and so i just love this conversation about social entrepreneurship social enterprise i love the conversation about how do we maximize impact maximize dollars in order for long-term change and transformation to happen so we have to really reinvent ourselves We have to reinvent the way we look at or redefine the way we look at problems. And we also, like they said on the chat pod, we got to be humble. We got to recognize that we can't do this alone. We need each other. We need each other to cross socioeconomic lines, racial lines, religious lines. Like we need to begin thinking about how can we come together as people to achieve long-term success. So I can go on and on, but that's the thing that I yeah, wanted well, to Lots of Lots of big issues there. Uh, <laughs> um, very high level. I do want to uh, just bring in one question from the uh, chat, uh, Amy Washington, who uh, I'll just read this, Amy, just because for, for the sake of time. Uh, love the practical ideas. Any creative ideas for sponsorship benefits for corporate partners when switching to virtual events? So who in a panel wants to uh, come in on that? Is that, you, is that you, Julia, raising your hand? This was a question actually that happened in the Facebook group, and I wish I could pull it up because other people smarter than me had some really awesome answers, and I just can't remember. Um, but I'm happy to take that offline and look what happened. That was the exact question happened in the group just today. Okay. So a couple of things that I would recommend, look at the benefits that you are already going to give them. You know, was it access to people? Was it a showcase of their product? Was it, you know, maybe you're listing them or talking to them or doing an interview with them on your social media channels, you're featuring them on your email list, but we have to get more creative rather than just sharing a bunch of logos. I think we have to really talk to our sponsors about what it means to them, why they're sponsoring it, who they are as people, 
and getting their story because it all comes back to storytelling. So I would encourage you rather than just posting a bunch of logos, trying to go a little bit more in depth with your specific sponsors and talking to them and maybe getting a photo or even just a little video on your phone. Why are they sponsoring it? What does it mean to them? And you know, what is the cause? Why does the cause resonate with them? Okay. That's great. Now we are out of time. I know we've got Hmm. lots of other things we'd like to contribute. That's got to be one of the most fast, most quickly experienced 60 minutes I've had recently. Um, And I'm glad everyone was uh, bursting with loads and loads of extra things to say. We will be uh, picking this conversation up in a few more episodes with the, with the same panel. So please uh, submit your questions and register for that nonprofit problem solver. I want to thank all the panel uh, for their fantastic contributions as I said, this could have gone all day. Uh, and uh, we will see you next time on Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast. Special thanks to this week's panel of experts. We had Sherry Quam Taylor, Julia Campbell, Tammy Charles, Nathan Webster, Marion Dirsch, Molly Hanley, and Tasha McCord Poe. Thanks also to Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio for producing the episode. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You're also invited to join a private Facebook group, Social Impact Practitioner, where every day we go deep into the practical and tactical work to accelerate your impact because good causes deserve better results.